very good. Take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 2 through 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. We're going to back up a little bit. We have a wide room this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. We're going to consider, we're going to read all of this text together this morning, but really we're going to just consider verses 2 and 3 in our time together this morning, the first of the Beatitudes. We're going to think a little bit about the Beatitudes and why they're important for us, um, and why Jesus would, would communicate something like this to his disciples. Last week, we opened our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount by thinking about and talking about uh, the lead-in to the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about three things very specifically. We talked about new creation. We, as a people who have trusted Jesus, are a new creation. We talked about uh, Jesus as the new Moses, the, the one who is going up the mountain now, bringing God's word to his people, the very God himself bringing his word to his people. And it's a word, it's a message of deliverance, it's a message of hope, um, it is a message of redemption. I mean, he's going to give then all of these different things throughout the course of our time together in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. We're going to look together at all of these things that are required not to obtain God's favor, but because God's favor is placed upon us. And all of these things that come as a requirement, then as, as we are new creations in order to paint a portrait of the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of where we, what we explored last week. We also talked about a new covenant. In the, in the new covenant, we're granted the Spirit of Christ. We're given the Holy Spirit. So the things that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, these things are given to us. Um, and we might look at them and think to ourselves, how is it that we can keep these commands, keep these things that Jesus is telling to us? And the answer is clearly because God has placed the Spirit within us. And we can look together as people who are new creations, we can look together at God's Word and understand what it is that He requires of us and obtain and execute those things in our day-to-day -day life. Are we going to do that perfectly? No. The answer is no. This side of eternity, we will not live perfectly. We will not paint a portrait of the kingdom of heaven perfectly, but we will, together as a people, uh, begin to go down that path and progressively work towards that. The Spirit of Christ empowers us to keep the things that God has commanded us through Jesus here, and uh, as recorded by uh, his servant Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read this text together this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. We'll read these together, um, and then we'll consider a few things together. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, looking together at this text, we see these, these multiple statements here. There are eight statements in general, um, and they get, they're given to us with the beginning word, blessed. What does it mean to be blessed or blessed? What does that mean? 
Um, that's something, as Christians, a word that we use a lot. We say, bless you, or we sign our emails, God bless, or, or, uh, or we uh, pray for God to bless our, our food. Uh, but as we continue to think about the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see that there's a particular group of people who Jesus regards as blessed, right? The particular group of people who, who embody these characteristics that Jesus outlines. It's a strange list. It really is a strange list if we consider it. It's probably relatively familiar. We've probably heard some of these things before. Um, but it's a relatively strange list if we really think about it. We're, but, but really, honestly, it's, it's given to a strange people. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is giving us a, an extension of, of one of the primary themes in Scripture. That God is setting apart a people for himself. That he is making a people holy. That he is, he is by the, now the shed blood of Jesus, is setting a people apart for himself. And these people look different. They look strange. They look, uh, they look inconsistent with what the world values. But this is what holiness is. So we can, be, we can be sure then, as we look at a list that describes us, that this list is probably going to be weird. Um, it is our holiness and our set-apartness, our new and different state of being, that, that's Jesus' aim when he, when he says these things in these few verses here. So a question for you. Um, how many of you have seen Stranger Things on Netflix? This is not a trap. Okay, so a few of you. All right. Okay, so... If you're going to watch it, spoilers. No, no, no spoilers. Plug your ears if you don't want to. I'm just going to give you a premise. Okay. So, uh, as you progress through the episodes of the show, you, you recognize, you begin to see that the, the characters are realizing uh, that there's something going on in sort of this different dimension, this different reality. They actually call this different reality, they call it the upside down. One of the children moves from, from our dimension into this other dimension, and it's really just a mirror of our world. You watch the show. If you're a dork like me, um, and 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 uh, and one of the kids, Will, is his name. He's living in the upside down, um, and his friends then are, are trying to find him. And the upside down again is just this mirroring of our reality. It's got this cool color palette. And there's all this ash like floating in the air, and and there's this scary monster. And the physics are a little weird, um, but still, it's it's really a mirroring of of our reality. But Jesus is describing here, um, Jesus is describing the people who are part of sort of an upside-down kingdom. People who are part of this world in which everything kind of looks the same, but it's all different also at the same time. People are marked out in a strange way in the kingdom of heaven. This is what the Beatitudes are intended to show us, that, that people are marked out in ways that are in val with values that are different or characteristics that are different than the world regards as, as blessed. I mean, while Matthew's Jewish readers, Matthew's Jewish readers would have been primarily the people who would have read this initially, they would have looked at their reality and then they would have thought um, Jesus was coming to do this socioeconomic work and, and to deliver them from the, the oppression that they were under. Um, they, they had been occupied for Rome for quite some time. They would have been looking for this earthly kingdom to rival that of something like Alexander the Great or something like the pharaohs of Egypt or, or something like the kings of Assyria and Babylon that had occupied them for 700 years all the way up to Rome in their current situation with Caesar Augustus. 
Jesus then shows up on the scene, begins his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, as we explored last week. He begins his ministry, he goes around and starts healing people, he starts preaching the good news of the gospel of the kingdom and healing, uh, verse 22 of, or 23 of chapter 4 tells us, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And while the Jewish readers would have looked at this and thought to themselves, okay, here he comes, here comes the political militaristic might that's going to, to bring us and deliver us out of that, Jesus shows up and describes politically, economically, societally weak group of people. They would make up this kingdom, they would make up this upside down kingdom, this strange looking kingdom, poor in spirit, mourning, meek, those who hunger and thirst for right standing with God, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted. This is a group of people, this is a group of people who, uh, who, who uh, embody these characteristics that look upside down, they look strange. These are not things, again, that are culture values. So when we're considering this text, this morning we need to dive in, we need to unpack some of these statements together, we're just going to get to, the, like I said, the first one this morning. But before we do that, I think we want to kind of take the whole and look at the whole and figure out a few different things that, that we need to think about as we, as we look together at these eight different statements. So I'm just going to give you, I'm just going to give you five of these statements here that are going to help us understand and, and, and maybe process better these Beatitudes together. So firstly then, the Beatitudes describe the people who make up the kingdom portrait. The Beatitudes describe the people who make up the kingdom portrait. I think one of the first errors that we can commit when looking at this list, right? One of the first errors that we can make when we look at this list is we can, we can start assigning these characteristics to people around us. So, you know, that person is meek, yeah. And sometimes we say it sort of as like a, a pat on the back when something doesn't go their, their way and maybe they're not as assertive as they could have been in a certain situation. We pat them like, oh, you're meek. You'll inherit the earth. And we sort of like use it sort of as a, as, a, as a way to kind of like make people feel better. But I think that this is not a list of gifts that's given to us. I don't think this is a list of gifts that's given to us or a certain demeanors that people just have. But a list that's described uh, what everyone in the kingdom portrait should, should exemplify. And with this in mind, it's important to note that throughout the history of the church, certain brands of Christianity have certain, sought to elevate certain individuals above, above others, right? They've sought to elevate certain individuals um, above others and highlight them or set them aside as, as extraordinarily spiritual. Um, and the qualities described in the Beatitudes, really, if we look at these things, they're not just for monks. They're not just for nuns. They're not just for what youth group might call super-Christians. They are for all Christians. Everyone who has professed Christ. All of these things are for every single person. If you profess Christ, then you are composing a kingdom portrait. And each of these characteristics uh, is, is what we should aspire to. So that's the first thing. The Beatitudes describe the people who make up the kingdom portrait. If you're in Christ, each one of these applies to you. Secondly, that the Beatitudes describe spiritual character first. Describe spiritual character first. And here's a way that we are set apart. This is a way that we are weird and different. Right? As people, maybe we could talk, call this our holiness. When the world measures nearly everything uh, by the quantifiable, the testable, the, the uh, empirical, 
We're collecting data all of the time. When the world measures things in those ways, the follower of Jesus is measured by something different than something that we can quantify, test, or collect data on. There's no ruler, there's no scale, there's no gauge that will give us data on poverty of spirit, or on meekness, or on mourning. Sort of our Bill Nye brains hate this, right? We, we want to move away from, we want to, we, want, we want to be able to touch it, we want to be feel it, we want to grasp it. But for example, if you look at verse 3, right, the beatitude that we're going to look at this morning, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For much of history, Jesus said this, for, but for much of history, the, the church have reduced this beatitude to, again, simple socioeconomic standing, just poverty in general. But the fact of the matter is, while Jesus was certainly concerned with people who were poor financially, he was even more concerned with their spiritual state. So that's the second, that the Beatitudes describe spiritual character. Third, that the Beatitudes describe blessings for those who exhibit these spiritual characteristics. The Beatitudes describe blessings for those who exhibit these spiritual characteristics. All of the Beatitudes start with the word blessed, right? And, and so we probably have an idea or a thought of what it means to be blessed. Like we said at the outset, for most of us, we think about blessed, we bless our food, um, we send our emails, God bless, whatever it might be. But a beatitude is really this pronouncement of blessing. And the word here, sometimes, the Bible might say happy. Happy are those, right? Our Bible might say that. But it's really more than just a subjective, emotional state of happiness. There actually is like a legitimate understanding of God's favor here. So it might be helpful to think about the Beatitudes when you read, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It might be easier or better for us to think of it this way. God's favor is on the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, blessed, right? God's favor, this idea that the blessing comes to those who exhibit these spiritual characteristics. And we'll talk about more of that more in a minute. But the fourth thing then is that the blessings of the Beatitudes are for both now, right now, in the present, and also the future. The blessings of the Beatitudes gives are both for now, in the present, and for the future. I think we look at these and we think future tense, future tense, future tense. But I think it's clear that throughout the rest of Matthew's Gospel, throughout the rest of our, our time together in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that Jesus is speaking very clearly about the present, not just the future. John Stott writes this, We enjoy the first fruits now. The harvest is yet to come. The Beatitudes are a taste. If we're painting the kingdom portrait together as a people, then we get a taste of what the kingdom of heaven is like. We get a taste of these blessings that God is, God is, or that Jesus is speaking to us. We get a taste of these things, but we won't really get to obtain uh, full access to them later. We're getting access to the kitchen as Thanksgiving dinner is being cooked, and we're getting a bit of a taste, but we're not getting to participate in the whole feast. That's still coming. So in Christ, you are experiencing blessing now, and we'll experience blessing to come as well. So that's the fourth. The blessing of the Beatitudes are both for now and for the future. And then finally, the fifth thing this morning. The Beatitudes come first in the Sermon of the Mount to demonstrate that Jesus is talking to a people who have received first and then do second. 
This is the most important. This is the most important thing that I'm going to say this morning about the Beatitudes as a whole. The Beatitudes come first in the Sermon on the Mount to demonstrate that Jesus is talking to people who have received first and do second. What does that mean? New creatures have received their renewal and then, and then are called to live like new creatures. We're not called to live like new creatures before we remain new. We're not called to live like new creatures before we're made new. Through the shed blood of Jesus, God has made a covenant with us, delivering us from sin, placing His Spirit in us, and making us new. So we are recipients first. The call to do comes out of a right understanding of what we've gained in Christ. And the Gospel is clear here. The Gospel is clear. We were alienated from God because of our sin, but He loved us so much that He sent His Son to absorb the punishment that we rightly deserve. And now, in Christ, we are granted right standing with God, and that's what we need. If we trust Jesus, we are no longer under the wrath of God, but we are children of God and heirs of the kingdom. So the outworking of the truth of the gospel comes Second, the outworking of the truth of the gospel comes second. <coughs> Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's it. We see it right there. Grace first, and then walking in good works. His activity, and then our activity. Not our activity first, and then God's favor. Always God's favor first. This is why Jesus leads with these pronouncements of God's favor and blessing. He leads with the Beatitudes to show us it is God's favor that comes upon us first, makes us new creatures, and then we live according to that after that. He wants his readers to know that the requirements of this kingdom portrait that we're painting, and about to hear about that painting, is because God has placed them there. Because God blesses his people with ability to paint the portrait through faithful obedience. So as we move then through the Beatitudes, I want you to keep these things in mind, especially that last one. I want to keep these things in mind, right? The Beatitudes describe the people who make up the kingdom portrait. The Beatitudes describe spiritual character first. The Beatitudes describe blessing for those who exhibit these spiritual characteristics. The blessings of the Beatitudes are both for now and for the future. And the Beatitudes come first in the Sermon on the Mount to demonstrate that Jesus is talking to a people who have received first and do second. So like I said, we just want to look together at the first of these, and I promise we'll look at more in the other weeks. <laughs> we're not just going to do one every week. But we will, we're will. we just going to look at the first here this morning because I think that it's important and it sort of sets up the rest of, of these things. We're going to consider the first then in three different ways. Three different ways. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right, so three concepts then contained within that. One implicit, two explicit. The first is the emptying of self. Implicit. The emptying of self. 
Second is the poverty of spirit, which is right there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then finally, the inheritance that the, those who are poor in spirit receive is the kingdom of heaven. When I consider those things, the emptying of self, the poverty of spirit, and the kingdom of heaven. So we'll take those in turn. The first, the emptying of, of self. I think Jesus starts here because it represents an emptiness that is required before new creatures can be filled. Right? The remainder of the Beatitudes, as we look at them, the remainder of the Beatitudes we're going to see is, Blessed are the most born, for they shall be comforted. That's a filling. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's a filling. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's a filling. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's a filling. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. That's a filling, filling and so on and so, so forth. He recognizes that the recipients of grace, Jesus does, represents, recognizes that the recipients of grace and divine blessing are blank slates first. They're blank slates first. We don't approach God as those who think we can offer Him something. We don't approach God, I'll yell, and then He'll give me a battery. We don't approach God as those who think we can offer Him something, but as those who recognize we have nothing to offer at all. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, We shall see that nothing really... Oh, no. Yeah, cool. Thanks. We shall see that it really means an emptying, this beatitude that is. We shall really see that it means an emptying, while others are a manifestation of fullness. We cannot be filled until we are first emptied. There is always two sides to the gospel, a pulling down and a raising up. So the first beatitude then, if we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for those is the kingdom of heaven, is a pulling down in order to reconstruct his kingdom portrait in us. Thank you, sir. So question, the question then, well first, this is countercultural, right? This is countercultural. Our culture says in the kingdom, in a kingdom that you are building for yourself, you must first build something, you must first get something, you first must be filled. But the upside down kingdom, Jesus describes, he says, you must first lose everything. Have you lost everything? That's the question this morning. Have you lost everything? I don't mean maybe I don't mean physically have you lost everything, but maybe you have. What I mean is, um, do you come to Jesus and say, "Here are the things that I have obtained myself. Here are the things that I I bring to you. Here's the fullness that I come to you with." The fact of the matter is that you would be a fool the way the Bible paints this portrait in the Beatitudes. You would be a fool to do so. You would be a fool to come to Jesus and say, here are all of the things that I've obtained in my life. And so the first question then is, have you lost everything? This is an emptying of self. You'd be standing, this is the foolishness of this. If you come to Jesus and say, here are the things that I have. You'd be standing in the midst of a forest fire, shouting to your friends that you started some smoke with a magnifying glass and a piece of grass when the blaze is going on all around you. You'd be out in the middle of Devil's Lake and you would be out of gas, you would have no oars, you'd be sitting there, enamored with condensation on your water bottle. This is the foolishness of those who come to God and say, look at all of that I've obtained in my life. And as people who have 
have ascribed this notion, we must operate out of fullness. That's what, that's what the world tells us. Lloyd-Jones again writes this, that is the whole principle of which life run at the present time. He wrote this in the 50s. That is the whole principle on which life is run at the present time. Express yourself. Believe in yourself. Realize the powers that are innate in you and let the whole world see and know them. Self-confidence, assurance, self-reliance. Speaking of the apostles, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. This is a state of emptiness first. A state of emptiness first. A state that realizes that you and yourself are bankrupt spiritually. We come to Jesus with a blank slate. First. Empty. We look at that and we say, well, boy, that's not a very positive message. And I, I, I don't like it. That's what my spirit says. And, and really, you should. Really, you shouldn't like it because it's you. And re remember, Jesus is reminding you of your emptiness. He's going to fill it back up with the rest of these Beatitudes. He's going to take each of these things and fill it back up. But they're going to be with things that make us go, what? Are you serious? He's going to fill it back up with mourning, with meekness, a hunger and thirst for right standing with God, with mercy, pure-heartedness, peacemaking, and persecution. And many times, as Christians, we are sidelined because we believe we are not full, right? But we're just full of something that we think we shouldn't be. We're full of something else. We say, my tank is empty. I'm tired. I'm drained. My life is so monotonous. It's so repetitive. It's so boring. And Jesus says, good, you're empty. Good. There is nothing in you. There is nothing that you have to offer. There is nothing you can bring. It is by His power that you will live according to His commands. The rest, of the, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, these commands that are given, these, these difficult requirements that are given to us in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it is by His power that you will live according to His commands, not your own. It is by His power that you will bring Him glory. And that's it. And that's it. Augustus Toplady, that's a funny name, Augustus Toplady wrote the hymn, Rock of Ages. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. In the third verse, it goes like this. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul to the fount I fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. So the fact of the matter is we come empty, and we leave full. We come empty, in an empty way, but we leave with a fullness of things that really make us say, huh, what? These are not the things that we think, but something that paints a portrait, something seemingly strange, sort of in this upside-down kind of way. So that's the first thing we want to consider when we look at the first beatitude, the emptiness of self. The second, then, is just right there in the text, the poverty of spirit, or what it means to be poor in spirit. And that's really answering the question, what does this emptiness look like? Why is it that these are the ones that will inherit the kingdom of heaven? And the key here is absence of, of focus on self. The key here is the absence of focus on self. It is not self-interest that drives this individual. It is not self-advancement self that gets this individual out of bed in the morning. It's not self-confidence that this individual needs. Rather, this individual who is marked by humility, not self-abasement, but humility, in its truest form. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, true humility is not, not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. 
True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It is no benefit to anyone, to yourself or anyone, to walk around with no courage or to, be, to walk around in a weak state or nervously with a false sense of, of, of humility. It's more about not worrying about per, putting off a particular vibe. Lloyd-Jones, again, he writes this, The man who is truly poor in spirit need not worry so much about his personal appearance as the impression that he makes. He will always give the right impression. I'll read that again. The man who truly poor in spirit need not worry so much about his personal appearance and the impression he makes. He will always give off the right impression. Why can Lloyd-Jones write that? Because... Because the one who is poor in spirit is the one who rarely thinks about himself or herself. That makes sense, right? That makes sense. What Lewis writes, what Lewis is, I quote, writes, true humility is not thinking of yourself, it is thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That, that makes sense, right? That's kind of a cool turn of phrase. He, he made that work. But this is just not our default, right? It's not our default. Our world is telling us something completely different. We ask questions like, how many likes did our last selfie get? Or we ask, what, maybe not. But, or maybe something like this. Um, how big was your name on that plaque that you, that, that facility that you donated money to at your alma mater? Like, those, those are questions that, that we need to ask. Usually, like, those things don't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. Do you revel in the fact that those things don't matter? Like, this is what we're talking about. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. This beatitude and the others make us think that these are not natural outworkings for us. They're not natural outworkings for us. They're not something that's given to us. And we think to ourselves, oh yeah, that's me. We look at these things and say, boy, that is not me. Absolutely not. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who paint this kingdom portrait by thinking less about themselves and more about God and about others. Here comes the hard part, I think. I think in this sense. As a church, as Buffalo City Church, if you're here this morning and you identify with Buffalo City Church, are we marked by this poverty of spirit? Are we marked by this poverty of spirit? Are we painting this portrait? Are we thinking about others and their needs and elevating their own needs above ours, even when we're at the end of our rope? Even when we're at the end of our rope. The one who is poor in spirit knows not when the end of his rope is near, because he or she is not considering him or herself first. This cuts against cultural, our cultural narrative. It cuts against it perfectly. The grain of our culture says this is ridiculous. Google, Google gave me a handful of quotes. I'll, I'll just read these for you. Have you heard the saying, you've got to fall in love with yourself first? Well, if you want truly amazing and abundant life, I'm telling you, you need to make yourself, you need to make it your mantra. That's the first one. The second one, put yourself first by never skipping out on yourself. By keeping a commitment to know and to please others, our ability to bring joy into the life of others is dramatically increased. After all, you can't give what, what you don't have. Third one. You wake up and make your daily list of to-do, which is usually 20 items long. And most of them are centered around other people or things, not you. I say put yourself first on the list. Friends, these concepts are the exact opposite of what Jesus says. The upside-down kingdom, those who don't exist for themselves first, are those who, who think of themselves less than anything else. Those are the ones that have God's favor. Does that seem strange? Yeah. That's the point. That's really the point. The point is that that would seem strange. Kingdom inheritance exists for those who are poor in spirit. 
It seems strange. It seems weird. We're painting a weird portrait. We're painting a portrait of an upside-down kingdom. So the last thing then, he says, the kingdom of heaven, we're going to see this come up time and time again throughout the Sermon on the Mount, this concept of the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom of heaven? What is this inheritance that we get, right? For those who are poor in spirit, for those who have received, for those who understand we come to God with a blank slate, those are, what, what is this kingdom of heaven? Well, maybe a better question is where and when is the kingdom of heaven? Because it's probably a better question. The answer is where the king is, right? Where is the kingdom? It's where the king is. So, there's several answers to that question. The kingdom is here and now, but it's not fully realized. Its full realization will come when Christ returns and we're reunited with the king. Right now, we're painting a portrait of things not fully realized. Again, we're painting a portrait of things not fully realized. But in eternity, we will clearly see what that's painted. If you use this example before, you, you, you buy a, a, a picture, and you look at that or painting. You look at that painting over and over and over again. You love the painting. It's a perfect painting. It's wonderful. It's just such beautiful scenery. And you look at that painting, and you look at it, and you look at it. And we might miss that, that when we pull the curtain back out of our, our, our sliding glass door out the back window, that that painting is what we see behind us. In eternity, we'll see all of that clearly. Right now, we're just looking at a painting. We're just looking at a portrait, a small snippet of what the kingdom is going to look like. So the kingdom is both here because we're, we're showing, we're on display for the world to see, but it's not fully realized yet. Right now, we're getting samples at Costco, right, when there's a feast coming. It'll be at our fingertips. It'll be complete. So how, here's how we can say this. The kingdom of heaven is shown in Scripture where Jesus was, when Jesus was here and exercising authority, the kingdom of heaven was there. The kingdom of heaven is also here now, where his people are. Christ has, has given us his spirit. We paint the portrait of the kingdom by giving the power. He gave, he gave us the ability to paint the portrait of the kingdom by giving us the power to keep all of the commands that he gives here. All the things that he's outlined for us. So the kingdom of heaven is where Jesus is, or where Jesus was, but he gave the Sermon on the Mount, but he's also where his people are now, in current reality, but the kingdom of heaven is also yet to come. When Christ returns, and when we're together, not only spiritually, but physically with our king. So the kingdom is here, but it's also to come. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Christians sometimes talk about the kingdom, and we talk about advancing it, or, or things like that. We like, to, we like to use that language. I don't think the Bible uses that language. To be honest, I think it's making our job something that it's not. Jesus said very clearly in Matthew chapter 16 that he was the one that would build his church. That he was the one who would advance his kingdom. That he would make it happen. Rather, we as citizens of the kingdom should seek to bear faithful witness to the kingdom. We should seek to bear faithful witness to the kingdom. How do we do that? By living in the same way, or in the sort of way that Jesus shows us in the Sermon on the Mount. It starts with thinking about yourself less, like C.S. Lewis says. That's why we start, that's why Jesus started with, with this beatitude. It's about thinking about yourself less. This is what it means to be poor in spirit, to be an inheritor of the kingdom. So those three things that we see contained within this beatitude, we see the emptiness of self, we see the poverty of spirit, we see uh, the kingdom of heaven, what that looks like for those who are poor in spirit. So just in conclusion, there's just a couple of questions for us this morning as we go forward. Just a couple of questions. 
Um, Charles Spurgeon um, said this, the way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in ourselves. The way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in ourselves. And this is the way we bear witness to the kingdom of heaven, to our inheritance. It's how this portrait is painted. When the world says, think about yourself first, citizens of the kingdom say, think about yourself less. When the world says, get where you're going by any means necessary, citizens of the kingdom say, we've already arrived. When the world says, start with fullness, citizens of the kingdom say, start with emptiness. And again, all of this seems very strange. All of this seems very strange. If it doesn't seem strange to you, then we're not quite grasping what's going on here. It should seem very strange to us. Remember me thinking here this morning, this is nice, but I'm going to keep doing my thing. When I was in college at NSU, I was part of an honors fraternity, um, and it was service-oriented in general. And uh, the, the motto of this organization was, Serving I Live. And without fail, if you ask somebody in this honors fraternity why it was that they served, why it was that they enjoyed uh, being together as, and serving our community, they would always answer with some form of, because it makes me feel good. Really, honestly, we as a people are wired to think about ourselves first, even in our service to others. We shy away from putting others' needs and interests above our own because we think it feels awkward to us. Maybe they respond in a strange way. But again, like Spurgeon said, the way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in ourselves. So really, honestly, friends, are we prepared to do this? We believe that this is a better state, that this is a better thing for us. It was described here in the Beatitudes. Do we believe that this is better? Do we think that God's favor is on those who are poor in spirit? Or do we think kingdom inheritance is for the self-aligned, self-absorbed, self-pursuing? Really, if we think about that, check how you spend your time. It's going to tell you what you believe. Check how you spend your time, or maybe your money, or, or your material, or, or whatever it is. Where your thoughts linger throughout the course of the day. Are they spent on activities, material, desires, that start with I, me, mine? The fact of the matter is that we regularly, those who are trying to build our own kingdom, we've inherited a better kingdom, but we're regularly trying to build our own. That's part of what this is all about. This is why Jesus says it is the poor in spirit who will, who, will, uh, who will inherit the kingdom of heaven because he knew that the world and our wiring, the people in it, were wired to try and build their own. We've already been welcomed into an established kingdom, one that is far better than we can build. So why are we trying to build our own? Really, because we want to be king. We want to be king. We want to put ourselves in God's rightful place in our lives where we want to be king. But again, it's the poor in spirit, the ones who recognize the true king and his calling, and that what he's given to us is all that we have. These are the inheritors of this eternal kingdom. These are the inheritors of this strange kingdom. These are inheritors of a different kingdom, an upside-down one. Um, this is a better kingdom. Let's pray.